You are now listening to Kindred Spirits Podcast on the RFK Refugees Podcast Network. And welcome in to the first episode of the Kindred Spirits Washington Spirit Podcast. Uh, this is, uh, again, a brand new venture we're doing here on the uh, RFK Refugees Podcast Network. Almost forgot the forgot to drop in the, the podcast network. I'm learning. This is all new, a new challenge for us, John. Right? How are, how are, we, how are we doing how are we feeling about all this? <laughs> We're good. This that was Ted. This is John. Uh, yeah, I, we had a, we had a we had a great weekend. Uh, we're really excited about our first Spirit podcast and our first uh, opportunity to really focus on the 2021 NWSL champions. Also, really excited for them to be uh, playing and for most of the content of the show to be about the team on the field. However, we're not there yet, but we at least have some fantastic news that I don't think we could have predicted for you uh, even two weeks ago or even a week ago. Yeah. It, it, this this really this has been the most incredible turn of events I think we we have ever seen from any type of news involving the NWSL. Everybody was expecting everybody was expecting this to go the NWSL to do to do the thing everybody thought they were going to do, which is to uh, deny. If, if if you're unfamiliar with what's been going on, we can maybe give a quick synopsis. <laughs> assuming some people are first listening yeah. to the show um, about what's been going on. So basically, obviously, go read up on all the bad things that have been happening with Baldwin in charge of the spirit. Uh, Richie Burke, everything else, all bad stuff. Uh, so Burke's trying to sell the team. Uh, basically said, all right, I want to sell the team. King has offered several millions of dollars, $35 million to the 25 rumored million that um, Todd Bowley apparently was going to buy. Uh, and then apparently at sort of the last minute when it was looking like it was going to be, you know, that was going to be given to Bowley and, and his group in the way unbelievable turn of events um kang pulled a fast one and basically performed a hostile takeover and converted uh some converted some other owners into equity made them uh voting shares of the team um and now they have a place to decide the the rules and apparently they own 52 percent Kang now is 52 percent uh the big thing was they this needed uh board of governors approval the board could easily say nope we don't approve of this we don't like these uh we don't like these these investors um and the board apparently unanimously said nope Kang, you have control now, or you have the votes. You guys can do a vote, and uh, th- this apparently very much clears a major hurdle um, that th- that this could have had. Uh, the news was uh, incredible. I think from this, uh, if if this gets done, this is an absolutely unbelievable turn of events and a great and a, and a great move. I think that the NWSL made, uh, despite the legal challenges that inevitably are going to come. John, your your thoughts, your reactions before I take over this yeah segment. No, I, I think uh, i think that there's a lot of really fine point details that's, that are interesting here to get back to the takeover this was in a period in which steve baldwin had repeatedly said he was in a exclusive negotiation with the bully group and the saint and the saint james there was no opportunity for her to make a move because that was that he was the majority share owner and and from what we knew about the ownership structure he had 35% or 33%. Bill Lynch had 33% and Michelle King had 33%. So Baldwin could call the shots. It didn't matter that a better offer was made. It didn't matter that minority shareholders who were t- titling in the 1% to 2% of ownership didn't like the move. Baldwin could do what he wanted as long as that was the structure that existed. Michelle King, in her, in her sort of business acumen, decides to go after all of these debt holders that Steve Baldwin brought on in the last year. He brought them on because he was in a cash crunch. The team was losing many millions of dollars a year due to a bunch of things that, you know, I, I, we don't have all the access to. But certainly the certainly the agreement with DC United has to be looked at 
Uh, certainly the effects of COVID on the team's revenue has to be looked at. Uh, but he brought all these players, brought all these people in uh, sort of in the last second to make right the ship. And in return for that, in return for this debt service, they they got a note that they would get paid back, you know, some amount. Uh, but also, for whatever reason, he decided to uh, <laughs> he decided to allow them to convert that to equity at a time of their choosing, not thinking that that was, in fact, his own petard that he was hoisting himself on in the future. <laughs> Uh, and that's exactly what happened. Michelle Kang went after all these debt holders and said, I have a vision. I'm going to make you richer than you will be if, if this other deal goes through because my offer is higher. Your your debt payout will be higher. So get with me. And, and then when this happens, as I have your proxy in this agreement, I will be I will be considered the majority shareholder. Also, Devin Talbot straight sold, sold his shares out to her making her in combined with these uh, in this proxy component, making her the 51%. That is a bit of maneuvering that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. It was the only option available to her. Steve Baldwin had closed everything else. And like you said, Ted, the NWSL, if they were acting the way that they had always been acting, the expectation was that they would trip, trip over their own feet, step into a PR nightmare and keep the team with Steve Baldwin, selling it to an ownership group that no one wanted. The fans didn't want it. The supporters groups, as we talked about in the last episode of RFK Refugees, did not want it. The players didn't. No one wanted it. The, the easiest thing to do, though, would have been to just give it to Michelle Kane, but we thought they wouldn't do it. They were able to, in this in this sort of meeting where the information did not get leaked out for a couple days, and Steve Baldwin apparently talked for an hour, and according to people who, who heard, the, heard the proposal, cited all petty reasons why Michelle Kane shouldn't be owner, I assume... For things like flying to Houston to meet with the NWSL commissioner while she was still not the majority owner in an attempt to do a takeover that way. So I'm sure there are ways that he was rubbed the wrong way, but, you know, that doesn't matter. That's He brought her in, uh, and she wanted to get more involved than he wanted, and he didn't like that. And then he also backed away from a deal previously to agree at a much lower rate than, than, than he would have agreed to before. So Steve Baldwin has misplayed this a couple times on account of hubris and pride, and you would have thought— based on everything we know about the business world and NWSL, that he wouldn't be able to take one more step with that hubris and keep the team or at least sell it and make his money. And now we're in this very strange predicament where is it WSP or WPS Washington, the, the conglomerate that owns the spirit, that's Bill Lynch, Steve Baldwin, Michelle Kang, the debt holders, the equity shareholders, the minority owners like Alex Ovechkin and all these famous people are all part of, they're going to have to have a meeting. And they're going to have to say, all right, uh, who who has control of this? Because NWSL said we cannot, as a league, tell run your own business. All those things are your local by rules, bylaws that you have proposed. Uh, so you got to figure that out. So it's not done, done, right? It's not it's not over. Uh, but it but based on everything that's been said publicly, all reporting, Michelle Kang's letter to the NWSL that said, I am the captain now. I have 51% based on my maneuvering. So Bill, uh, uh, Steve Baldwin cannot even do anything if he wanted to. So we're, we're, we're waiting here, basically. When is this meeting going to happen? When is When are we going to hear finally? When is the flag, the Jolly Roger, going to be raised uh, <laughs> above the ship? It's soon. I think it's got to be pretty soon. I, I count on Steve Baldwin to drag his feet as long as he can and then count on potential legal action against oh, Michelle yeah. Kang. That, that, that's a, that's a given. It's coming. There, there, this is there is going to be a lawsuit, but it seems like Michelle Kang is fully handled it. She's not getting into this. She probably knows this is coming. She's smart enough to figure this all out. Um, and and she's, I, I think this is this. She knows this is coming from Steve Baldwin. I, I do wonder also if Michelle Kang was like, look, if he sues, I'll, I'll handle it. Like, don't worry about him. Like, if he sues you, if he sues the league, 
he's like make him come after me like say and and it, it was very clear that the NWSL just was like we're you know what this is on you guys to figure out and if if this is we're not going to step in and, and say no um Baldwin didn't give them a good enough reason maybe some of them weren't even really aware and they kind of looked at us and said well this is fine like we, we you know I think from a perspective I think also they don't want to get in the way of this. They know this would be unpopular if they said, nope, this is not legal. They have a CBA negotiation that they're trying to get done. Uh, and they are they are trying to th- – this is a, a, a sort of a right – for right now, a free way to buy some goodwill back from the players. Say, look, you know, we're changing. You know, we had this owner. She was saying all the right things, doing all the things that you guys wanted. The players wanted her to take control of the team. We're allowing her to basically giving her that path, giving her that uh, we're, we're not standing in her way of doing that. You know, look, we're different. Regardless, regardless of whether it works or not, I think that that played had to play at least a little bit of a role in the back of in the back of the minds of, of the owners, particularly when they're going through a a tough CBA agreement where they're the players are not going to be back by uh, by February first. What that's a so. that's a A plus or that's a A plus kindred spirits uh, pivot. Uh, and transition. So that is that is to say that there are, there have been CBA talks for the first time in league history. The uh, NWSLPA is first time fully incorporated and and able to collectively bargain with NWSL. Uh, the challenge here is that February first was the day to kick off preseason camp. Does not look like it's going to happen. So there has been talks of a potential holdout. And why that's interesting, I think, for the first time in NWSL history. All of the players who were previously paid by the women's the U.S. Federation Soccer Federation are now paid by their NWSL and their and their run, owner operators. That means that they are now belonging to the union for the first time. In the past, the union, such as it was, the players' association, such as it was, would basically have to ask not ask but ha- work in kinship with these allocated players for any labor th- any labor negotiations that le- ne- negotiations that they wanted to do. Now they're all in the union together. So if the union decides to walk off, the players' association decide to walk off. So does Alex Morgan. So does all of the all, all of the U.S. national team players are also gone. So that means that the, their threat of a strike is a serious threat for the first time. There's there's weight behind that. People they have the NWSL commissioner, the owners have to take that seriously. On the flip side, that will also probably destroy the NWSL. If there's a if there is a long term labor lockout or a stoppage, this is a very fragile league at this moment with all the things that have happened. Uh, if the if the players are released from their contracts, many of them will be able to find another place to play. It's it's a, it's a gambit that I think the league knows they have more to lose, and they're gonna just probably have to capitulate on this on this one for the first time. The players have a very very high upper hand. In, in this negotiation, as opposed to MLS, where it's usually the opposite. I, I will say, I don't think the league is, I don't think the league's as fragile as it was, say, in 2000. I, it is somewhat fragile. I do think the owners, I mean, the Portland Thorns owners are, well, you know, the Portland Thorns owners are like, well, we're just going to go back to managing the Timbers. A lot of other owners, I think there is a more diversified network of owners. Uh, obviously, Louisville. Uh, has made a lot of things. The Kansas City owners have done a lot of things to sort of, you know, buy in. So all those plans kind of go down the drain if the league folds, like the the downtown stadium in Kansas City um, for for the Kansas City current. We'll see. Um, I, I think you, you do have a point. I think the U.S. women's national team players certainly carry a lot of weight in the fact that they are now included in the union, which is something I wasn't aware of. 
Um, I think I think also this is the first time those players have to be paid by their they're not they're no longer sort of allocated by uh, the U.S. Women's. I think they still have a contract. I'm not sure how that breakdown all all is going to work. The but, allocation um, component that still exists is more about uh, having the rights to a national team player versus right. having versus the source of their payment. So that is a change from years past for sure. I think, and also too with this negotiation, many they agree on many of the the hang the hang up points here. The major sticking points are around free agency and when any roster or salary changes will take place. I think you, you're in a position now with the fact, how much do the big names want to help out the rank and file? How much do they want to raise the minimum salary? And when are they going to demand that that happens? That is that is really what that that strengthens your hands as, as negotiators, as Tori Huster. Uh, and I uh, and they I know that they hired for the first time an external PA uh, president. It's it's all about how how aggressively do they want to negotiate and how urgently do they need what they win. I I if I'm them, what I would do is negotiate in a very hard line fashion, but not be as strict about when the the the, the benefits hit. So sign maybe a three year agreement or a four year agreement and say that you'll spread those out over a longer period, but ask for more since you now got the the hard hand. Uh, I don't know if you'll have the same the same grip in a couple of years if you do a short term short-term implementation. It's hard to say. I would anticipate if there is a lockout, it will not be very long. I would say, you know, maybe a week as they finish things up. I don't think either team, either, either side really wants to do that, but the, the, the threat is credible and it's important. I think they are hurt a little bit by the fact there hasn't been any announcement of like when games are going to begin and like when the challenge cup is going to happen. Right. Is that the correct, that the, been... the challenge cup there's, there's sort of guidelines of when, when that would occur, but there's also it's, it's leaked from the league that they have, agreements with sponsors that are tied to the challenge cup they're very urgent and they that's why the challenge cup is at the front of the season instead of being later on so they have that to hold over the league the league has money sponsors that need the season to start on time because for yeah. the challenge cup to happen it has to start uh, preseason has to start on time so uh but by the way by the way i am looking the challenge cup is actually slated to begin march 19th uh on a saturday and then run until may 7th um, so late start for the for the NWSL season. I mean that Challenge Cup is kind of like right in the right in the right in the middle. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about the length of that. I, I would think March to like April, and then you start the season would be a little more ap- applicable. But they is that on the Challenge is Cup on, is very successful. Is that on the league? Is that on the League Cup website? The league website that, that is on the CBS. Uh, CBS. I just googled it. That seems so insane. C- yeah, that seems insane. Uh, and, and then another sort of fi- uh, final point about the the negotiations. Just Women Sports. Uh, did a sort of expose around what's what's the status of the negotiations. And one thing that sort of stood out to me uh, was that uh, players are getting frustrated at the lack of engagement by owners at this particular junction, which is weird again, because it should be starting uh, in like eight days, but a hundred players joined a call to talk about sort of the things that were important to them and sort of talk about the things that they need to fix. And there were no owners or one or two owners on the entire call. Players are beginning to be frustrated that they're not being taken seriously, which again pushes them slightly more towards the direction of maybe having to having to hold out or having to do work stoppage. So, watch the space; it's important. I'm hoping that this can be resolved quickly and that the players can get what they need. They are certainly due concessions now because this is the first time they've negotiated. Uh, they have had basically had to take what the league gave them and liked it for as long as the league has been around. So, concessions coming to the to the players. That's without a doubt. Yeah, and I would I would even add to this, uh, if there is a long protracted lockout, 
and WSL is not the only game in town anymore. You have the W League starting back up, the W Super League starting up for the from the USL level. Liga MX again making a big big play uh, for for players. The the one of the high draft picks, um, Mia Fisher, um, basically playing for Tigres. I think I mentioned that last week. I'm sure Eng- play, teams in England will lick their chops if there's a lockout. Hey, Trinity Rodman, you want to come play for Arsenal? Do you want to come play for Chelsea? Yep. Absolutely. Let's get you over there. Uh, so there, the, a ton of the players, your top level players have a bunch of options. Even now, some of your players kind of down the pecking order also have other options to play uh, if there is a long and protracted lockout. So uh, I think the owners should be scared. I think I think that the, if they are not paying attention or they are not engaging, uh, then they are making a huge mistake. So in the last sort of NWSL administrivia slash off the field stuff, uh, we we did we mentioned it earlier sort of what's going on with the t- Portland Thorns. There was a right before we recorded, there was a statement that came out uh, from the players, looking at uh, sort of you know what their what were their demands and have they been met. So I will briefly uh, fly through this. All of the players on the on the t- Portland Thorns have posted this. So this was a joint statement. In October 2021, the players uh, issued a statement demanding their organization show accountability and transparency for their role in the events leading up to and following the abuse of Manishim and Sinead Fairley. Our three demands aligned with the team's core values of trust, openness, and solving problems. They were put Gavin Wilkinson on his administrative leave pending the results of an investigation, increase diversity in upper management, and give the players a seat at the table uh, to increase transparency. They wanted to say the club has done some of these things. Uh, they have hired, they've done an internal business review. We believe the club has facilitated the most thorough investigation they could legally at this time. At the request of the league and the Players Association, both past and current Thorns were not allowed to be interviewed. When we, when we are allowed to do so, players may choose to do, to do so. Uh, based on the recent and the results of the investigation, we recognize the reinstatement of Gavin Wilkinson as president of soccer. In relation to our second and third demands, the club has adopted a confidential and anonymous reporting system, engaged with a diversity and inclusion expert, and will require all managers of the club to partake in yearly anti-harassment training. Players will continue to have a say in the practices and measures that ensure that the working environment for all employees of the club are safe. This, these are important first steps, and we look forward to building on this process. We appreciate Merritt Paulson for responding to our concerns, acknowledging the seriousness of the situation, and for his commitment to upholding our team's values. We remain determined to cooperate with any and all investigations currently underway of those which may arise. And finally, to our fans, we truly appreciate your understanding as we all continue to work our way through a very emotional and complex situation. If we have one ask of you right now, it would be this. Please be respectful to all club employees, their friends, and families. We understand that this situation is highly charged and deeply personal personal for everyone, but let's all do our best not to make a difficult situation more painful. Finally, thank you for your support. You're more essential now than, than ever. This is, uh, we're talking about this because this has been one of the uh, larger situations uh, in the NWSL supporter community. We talked about it on our last RFK Refugees episode about the Portland Thorns basically severing ties with the supporters groups until they were, I think they wanted more uh, diversity of thought and leadership. Uh, Merritt Paulson and other other members of the front office basically said, we can't get anywhere with you. And until you come up with a different set of guidelines and expectations from the club, we're just going to do away with it. So in in the shadow of that, a number of Thorns fans have been saying, I'm not renewing my season tickets, telling players I'm not renewing season tickets, telling Merritt Paulson I'm not renewing season tickets. I do not agree with the way you've been doing things. I want Gavin Wilkinson out. 
this statement, it's clearly it's it's a challenging thing to read and to understand exactly what it means. How much of this was dictated to the players by management, basically saying, you have to come up with this. We have addressed the concerns the way we're going to do that. You are all employees of this team. We will be moving forward. You need to put the statement out and help put these fires out or there are there are going to be further consequences. It's, it's a challenge to sort of figure that out from the outside without internal reporting and well-sourced reporting within the team saying, are you happy with all of this? They did say, if you, if you heard, we recognize a reinstatement of Gavin Wilkinson, not we applaud, not we're excited about, we recognize it is happening. We, we, we acknowledge reality. So I, I, it's, it's a really complicated situation. Players have, I, there have been players that have talked about how much it hurts them to see fans deciding to disengage with the team. Understanding that the that some of the fans feel very very strongly personal personally about it, and, and even more so than you know, if it hurts a player's feelings, they're going to do that anyway because they think it's a, a larger a larger issue than that. Uh, but this this is sort of the 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 bow on the present here. This is sort of the end, I think, from the player's perspective. Now it, it it's going to be very interesting to see how that fan group, both from a you know supporters group perspective, but even the broader fan base reacts to these findings and this statement from uh, from all of the Thorns players. I, I think the CBA could also, again, be playing a role here in, in that statement because I think they're they're the players are worried that if, you know, if season tickets, you know, drop regardless of of whether that's involving, you know, what anything that the players are personally responsible for, the teams can come back, particularly the Portland Thorns, can say, look, our richest team is devalued because half the people have already canceled their season tickets. Uh, and that's going to impact our, our ability to make money. Um, and I think that could be that could be really bad. Um, so I, I think that is a. Yeah, it's tough to say. It could be it could be the players being it could be the team maybe pushing a little bit. Hey, please make this statement. We have to stem the bleeding on this. Um, it could also be you know it could also be the players saying, look, like you know when you cancel your season tickets, you're hurting us right now in this negotiation we're trying to have here. We're trying to get the owners to listen to us. And if you're canceling season tickets, that sends the message. That's an easy argument for them. Hey. You're you're losing season ticket holders. You guys don't have as much value as you think you do yep. um, as players. So um, all all of that I think is maybe playing a role into this. I, I understand good intentions. I do feel like people who think they have good intentions when they fire off that tweet to the Portland Thorns Twitter account. Um, you, you're Gavin Wilkinson is not seeing the, those tweets. Uh, he's very active on Twitter. I mean, we all know he's very active on Twitter. Merritt Paulson. Uh, is, Merritt Paulson no, is Merritt the one Paulson, sorry, is the one. On I forget there. which one is active. Yeah. Merritt Paulson is the one who's active. Merritt Paulson is not seeing seeing those tweets. Uh, that he Mer- is not. He is- <laughs> Merritt Paulson is a shit poster. He is he is like he is a he is a Twitter god. So he's definitely seeing everything that goes on. He's seeing everything that goes on. He I guarantee he doesn't care. Um, no. it, it just is what it is. You're yelling at the wrong people. This is why I I, I think the spirit with the whole situation, um, were incredible. Uh, the spirit fans. They didn't go. They they put out their own statements against the ownership. They didn't, you know, have their fans, you know, go and blast the Washington Spirit owners. I'm sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know if Jordan's the one who's involved in that, but uh, or who's involved in the in the Twitter account. Um, but I but I think I think that that was a really good thing. And people need to be mindful of where they're directing their anger. Um, you know, it's okay to tweet. 
that you're upset about ownership. It's okay to quote tweet stuff and say it, but don't 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 be firing off on, on the when the when the when the Portland Thorns social media person is wishing Lindsay Horan a happy birthday. <laughs> do not fill the Twitter account with oh go sell the team get out of here. You know don't don't do that. You're not going to get the traction you think you're getting. So and some fans have pointed that out to other fans, and I appreciate that. Here is a picture of Lindsay Horan's dog. Which say one like to pulse it out, <laughs> merit out. <laughs> now I will say you've got to look. So I think you know on RFK let, refugees. Let me let me let yeah. me add one more thing. Any FIFA executive perfectly acceptable to do stuff <laughs> like that. Go at them. Yeah, Infantino posts some like happy birthday. You know, remembering Nelson Mandela. Go after him. <laughs> I do not care about those people. The social media people who run team accounts think about that a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm just now, I'm just now imagining uh, Gianni Infantino opening his Twitter account like, oh man, what's going on? Why is everyone so mad yo, at me today? Yo, go go back and read some of the set bladder like Twitter account and like all that type that 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 stuff was constant. It was hilarious. Yeah, it was hilarious. Uh, I, I was gonna say that sort of the thing that we have seen the power of NWSL fans when organized. Look no mm-hmm. further than Washington Spirit. Uh, I think when we originally heard the, the, <laughs> I remember, you know, I, I'll put my hands up. You can go to old episodes of RFK Refugees. I was basically saying, unless you have the money to, to make, uh, to make Steve Baldwin do something, it's going to be very challenging to make this happen. And really, this would not have happened without that drumbeat. All, all of our friends that listen to this show that we talked to on Twitter and Rose Room Collective and the, and the squadron, uh, through brute force of of strategy and, and being present in uh, in the stadium with signs, being uh, getting attention from national media, really put the pressure on the NWSL, Steve Baldwin, uh, and all of the group to basically make this happen, to make this sale happen. Without them, clearly, for sure, this does not happen. No chance, zero yeah. percent. So really, direct that sort of that pressure campaign from the outside is extremely, I will never have doubts about it again. I have seen a thing. I will call, I'll call it a miracle. I have seen a miracle with my own mm-hmm. eyes. I didn't think it could ever happen and they did it uh, or they're about to have done it. So, you know, kudos to them. And also it has made me more optimistic about the power of fans uh, in this setting, even in a single entity structure <laughs> with unaccountable owners. So we had an opportunity here to uh, open our mailbag. We're going to do this a lot more. It's our first episode uh, of Kindred Spirit, so uh, we'll be doing this every week. So from Emily Gerdes on Twitter, how long till we can just call it the Spirit Women's National Team? Obviously, we aren't getting games from this camp, but do we think all seven Spirit players will make the the squad? Uh, Curious mostly about the non-mainstays. I think it's funny now that that we're there. <laughs> I think yeah. it's funny. I think it's funny that now that too. Right. Cause it, cause before that was not the case. Uh, we were looking at all these players who were on the outside looking in, no matter what Ashley Hatch did, she couldn't get a call up. Uh, then she just went and won the golden boot and then happened to get some call-ups and then also happened to score two goals for the U S team uh, in the games that she did play. So how yeah. long, yeah, let's, let's talk about these players. So these are the players that are, that have been called in. Ashley Hatch, Ashley Sanchez, Aubrey Kingsbury, a name we are now all getting used to, Nay Bledsoe, now Kingsbury, uh, Kelly O'Hara, Emily Sonnet, Trace, uh, Trinity Rodman, and Andy Sullivan uh, have all made the team and are in this camp. Again, as as, as Emily said, no games. Uh, it- but go ahead. No, I was just I was just gonna say I think I think from this list you have three players, three players that I think are have their names written in pen. As far as the national team, uh, and that is uh, Sanchez, Rodman, and Sullivan. 
just from a future down the road perspective. Um, we will see, I guess, with O'Hara and Sonnet, could they be maybe pushed, maybe pushed by some younger talent um, as far as that goes? I think maybe you'll see O'Hara maybe and maybe Sonnet. Um, I feel like O'Hara maybe has a bit more of a hold on that kind of wingback position. Um, I'd say she's maybe written it, written in a, an erasable pen between O'Hara and Sonnet in that <laughs> or pencil uh, in, in that in, in, or pencil. <laughs> I'm going to say erasable pen sure. because even with the erasable pen, you can't exactly get it all the way off. So that's, that's my, that's, I like it. Uh, King, Kingsbury and Hatch are definitely pencil for me. Um, I think, I think it, it's all going to depend on how they keep up. Hatch maybe maybe a little bit more trending towards the, uh, the erasable pen. Um, it's going to depend on how she does both for the national team and how she keeps up her strike rate. Um, but, but that's what I see. I think we're going to see a lot of these players be, start to be mainstays, uh, especially the ones that are on the top of the top of the heap, uh, particularly Ashley Sanchez and Trini Rodman. Uh, Trini Rodman is one of the more, more exciting talents to come through this league, probably since Crystal Dunn, uh, if, we, if we want to be honest. Um, Crystal Dunn used a season where she was incredible to play herself onto the national team. Um, so I'm excited to see that. Yeah, I think Andy Sullivan is set. I think she has now played herself. And if Latka wants a defensive midfielder that has her skill set, there's no one else really like her. I think, you know, there's, there could be said that there's other players that have been trying to shoehorn in that position, but uh, Andy has, has shown herself as being a unique fit. Trinity Rodman is, I think she's going to have another great season. I think that will be sort of looked at as sort of how, how, how quickly do they want to put her directly into the squad? Uh, she's getting a call in. She would have had one last time for the Australia camp. Uh, she had one this time. Finally, and she was able to report. I think that I think that, like you said, for the future, she's a, she's in pen. I think for the present and the near term, even sort of as games happen uh, this spring, I don't know that she's a I don't know that she's a starting eleven yet. I think she's she's definitely on the on the camp uh, the camp right on the line uh, for to always yeah. get called in. And I, and I forgot to mention Sullivan. She really also played herself into the roster this past year, probably even more so than uh, than than Rodman did. Yes. in my opinion, she just fantastic season from her. She was she was already much closer, obviously, due to due to mm-hmm. her experience. Uh, Emily Sonnet, like you said, middle she's 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 had uh, rough times. I think so, sort of in her center back slash uh, you know wing back position. That's not her not her strong suit. Kelly O'Hara much more suited for that. Although she is getting up in age, there aren't a lot of players really pushing her. At this moment. So she could be, you always have seen in tournaments, uh, the women's team has always carried a player who is maybe, maybe past her prime, but sort of in, in the squad and able to be utilized in times of pressure uh, where that experience is, is sort of called upon. So maybe that's O'Hara's role uh, as we move forward. Aubrey is probably a hard, goalkeeper is tough uh, for the women's national team to get that shout. She had a great season, but there are just so many, it's just like the men's, it's just like the men's pool. There are so many players that, that are going for so few spots. It's a challenge for, I'm glad that she got an opportunity to get in front of Vladko. Uh, and after the tremendous season that she had and hatch, like you said, a player who has done what has been asked of her, but isn't again in a challenging spot, uh, a player, a very depth, a very depth heavy spot. Alex Morgan's getting on, getting towards the end of that reign. There are, unfortunately, for actually other players who uh, can fill right in. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> no matter no matter how many goals she scores in NWSL, there's going to be uh, players that are going to challenge her. And Ashley Sanchez, I think, needs to have a really good season next year, a full complete season. She she played great. I think she got tired maybe towards the final third, and then was able to contribute in a major way in the playoffs. Uh, the goal of the playoffs that we have talked about previously on RFK Refugees episodes with a, with the pitch or the, with a, with a uh, chip goal, but I think she is maybe not as 
firmly in the picture. This is good that you got a call on and got into camp, but not necessarily a, a nailed on starter yet or a nailed on camp call in for the, the women's team. Yeah, I, I would say I would say with King with Kingsbury, um, I, I think that's a good shout out to a good shout out for her. I hope she can make it. She she had a great season again for the Spirit, kind of an, an unsung uh, season uh, with a lot of the sort of young talent around her. She she provided a lot of great uh, great goalkeeping for this team um, and played injured. If you listen to our interview yeah. on the show, apparently, yeah, so. broken finger, did not <laughs> fought, did not care that fought through that fought through that, which is uh, great. Uh, Ed asked, did uh, did either of us jinx any players by buying their jerseys? Also, can we expect better looking jerseys this year? I would have probably jinxed a player had I been able to get my hands on a jersey this last season. Uh, I would have. Uh, who would I have gotten? I would have probably gotten Anna Helferty, uh, which would have been a bold move on my part based on sort of her 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 uh, her starting her starting position. Uh, Andy Sullivan, I think, is a safe bet to hopefully wouldn't jinx her. But I am uh, considering it as to will we get better jerseys next year. I think that is the I think that is the hope. I think that is the sort of understated hope. Uh, I don't have any solid information on that, but Ted, who who would you have gotten had you been able to get your hands on a jersey? Uh, for me, it would have been it would have been Ashley Sanchez. Um, just I, Rodman, I guess, is the is one of the one of the bigger picks. But that goal she scored in the in the playoffs uh, was one of my favorite goals I've ever seen. I remember cackling. I yep. was literally laughing at how great that goal was. Um, just the cheekiness and, and the audacity to even try that. Um, and uh, that's partly why I think she, she is one of my favorite players on the team. So I probably probably would have gotten um, would have gotten her uh, either at that or Ashley Hatch uh, just for the longevity um, and what she's meant to the club, too. So uh, and it doesn't rule out me getting a Robin jersey. By the way, I look at the, I look at the shop and there's basically limited stock of the white T-shirt. Uh, and then there's also the goalie kit, the goalie kits out there. Um, so maybe maybe I can go that way. A, you could you could go that way. Uh, they got an XL at least, so yeah, not a whole lot in the shop though. Please, uh, Michelle, uh, you, one thing one thing you can fix as owner, make that shop definitely have more stock because goodness gracious, uh, it is it is difficult. It is a problem, man. That uh, fans of the women's game across the board have been fighting yeah. over and over and over again. It's like let us give you money for an exchange for products. <laughs> it will benefit you in the end. Please make it happen. I know that I don't think this year was a choice. I think there was, I think they went through a change in who ran their merch shop and they never really got things going. And I also think supply chain problems, uh, ask me how I know how challenging it is to get your hands on t-shirts. Uh, if you wanted to print say podcast logos on them right now is, uh, <laughs> but I, I imagine it's just as hard for, for teams trying to buy jerseys. And, uh, last from the mailbag, uh, Douglas Reyes Cerrone, a fan, a friend of the show, also a major driver in making this whole uh, Michelle Kang thing happen, uh, wants to know. He's fascinated to see what Kang does to help repair many of the relationships that Steve broke during his tenure, uh, and there are a lot of them across many levels. I think she's got such a dump truck of goodwill that she has. I, it's going to be a challenge in the community to sort of go through that, that those things. I think it's easier when you're the new person in town saying, "I am, uh, you know, I'm I'm clearly different than previous owners. I'm gonna I'm gonna right the wrongs." She's already said she's gonna build, pay to build a independent training facility for the club. They don't want to. I don't think she wants to share space out in Loudon. I think a lot of the players will be ha- will be happy to not have that commute. Uh, she is going, uh, hopefully she fixes the merch situation or, or <laughs> enables the team to make the hires to be able to do that. Uh, there has, she has an, she has capital she wants to invest. So I think that'll, I think that'll make a lot of difference. 
but I, you know, it's it's going to take time. It won't be overnight. The people who are inclined to want to move, turn the page, will do so. Uh, but I think I think Michelle, if she wants to spend that kind of money, she's here for the long term. She wants to fix those things that went wrong and also grow the areas of this team. There is on tap. There's potential here quite clearly. Look at the games in Audi field two years ago, and then sort of look last year at the games in a, in a, you know, in a COVID environment, obviously the attendance across the board is down, but there, you know, the, there was a, there was depression around the fan base uh, around that team last year for a good reason. And her taking over as owner will allow them to turn the page and sort of, you know, get her, get a fresh start. So we'll see if they're able to do that. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be the key. Thing. I think that she also wanted to repair, said she wanted to repair the relationship uh, with DC United, which I think have a more um, uh, harmonious partnership. I think uh, DC was just like, I think she wants it more than just a, here's a way to get some money. Let's charge the, the women's team in the area, you know, to bring in our, bring in our squad. I think it's exciting to have Michelle on the, on the team because I think she's shown a seriousness to invest. Um, and I think that's huge. Uh, we're seeing a lot of owners across the league, Kansas City being one, Louisville, putting a lot of investment into, you know, it, like you said, a training facility, uh, investment into stadiums and things like that. And I think that's been a real change on how this and how this league has kind of operated. So be, be, it'll be awesome and see. All right. Thanks, y'all. This has been the first ep- episode of Kindred Spirits podcast Make on sure- the RQ Refugees podcast network. Make search sh- yes subscribe. make sure you search make sure you search uh, uh kindred spirits on all of your podcasts uh whatever you're listening to this on uh make sure that you if you like it if you, if you're an rfk refugees listener and have always enjoyed our spirit content we know that you will uh rate uh rate our podcast and give us a review so that more people find us uh if you're new to this and it's your first time listening to us uh thank you for for listening to us if you like us we hope you subscribe uh, if you, uh, you know, this is, we hope to be talking a lot more about the, the play on the field when there are actually <laughs> players on game games going on. So this is a, maybe a, the, not the best time to start the spirit dedicated podcast, but we know, uh, that we're going to have a great time here in the months to come in a, in a great follow-up season and hopefully a repeat, hopefully a championship repeat. They're set up to do it. Uh, but we want to thank all the people who have supported this show as it was at RFK refugees. Uh, we added spirit as an area to cover last year. Um, picked a great time to do it, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that there, there's a, there's a, there's a fan base that, that wants more coverage of their team and, you know, us alongside Plex weather, we're glad to be able to give that to you guys and hope that we can bring value to you and, 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 and have a uh, great interviews and player access uh, that make this podcast, something you want to listen, uh, subscribe to and tell your friends about. So thank yep. you for uh, tuning in on our first, our first ever episode. Thank you guys so much. And, we need to come up with a tagline now. We got, like we do vamos for DC. I feel like we need to we need to come up with something. Placeholder. What's up? Pla- placeholder <laughs> vamos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll catch you guys next week for a new edition of the Kindred Spirits Kindred Spirits podcast on the RFK Refugees Network. See you guys next week. Bye bye. Yeah, I'm gonna like rise up. Spirit, I don't know. Rise of DC, Spirit Fam.